Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. And if you see a big smile on my face, it's because 2020 is over. For good, bad, and otherwise, it's in the books. And 2021 has arrived. And of course, just like when we entered 2020, we don't know what this new year will bring. But we do know that just like in 2020, God will walk with us every single day. And uh, for our call to worship this morning for this new year, I'll share with you uh, a little story of a hymn writer named Frances Ridley Havergal. And she took New Year's Day very seriously every, every year as an opportunity for reflection. And she would often compose uh, little poems and things like that to share with her friends. She would often jot them down in cards or notes that she would share with friends or family. And so one year in 1874, she wrote this little poem to her friends and jotted it down in the cards that she shared with them. She entitled it, A Happy New Year, Ever Such May It Be. And inside the little poem goes like this. Another year is dawning, dear father, let it be, in working or in waiting, another year with thee, another year of progress, another year of praise, another year of proving thy presence all the days. And you'll likely recognize those as put to music in the hymn that we often sing on this first Sunday of a new year. And may that be our prayer as we enter this new year of 2020. I would invite you now to bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, on this first Sunday of the new year of 2021, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, as we look back on the year that was, we have very mixed feelings. For Lord, this was a year that has challenged us in ways that we have never been challenged before. And yet again, we acknowledge that you walked with us through every challenge and that, in fact, through those challenges, you have been doing a good work in us. You've been cultivating through adversity, through challenges, through trials. You've been cultivating perseverance within us. And from perseverance, you've been cultivating hope. And you've been cultivating godliness. And you've been cultivating, Lord, a steadfast spirit to keep serving you regardless of the circumstances, to keep thanking you, to keep praising you, and most importantly, to keep pointing others to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, we know at the end of the day that the only thing that can save a soul is the gospel. And apart from that, there is no life. Whether in this life or in eternal life, there is no life apart from you. And so, Lord, we thank you that in this day of, of grace, we continue to point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have this opportunity again as we enter 2021 to continue to glorify you and to point people to the gospel. For it is only that which can save our souls. And so we thank you that we can proclaim this today online through the airwaves and that even as we still gather in our own homes, we thank you that your spirit continues to strengthen us and bind us together in unity. And so we pray that this will continue to be true in our church family in this year ahead. And of course, Lord, still at the forefront of our minds is right now our deep desire to be able to gather physically together again for fellowship, for worship, and for ministry. And so, Lord, we pray that you will uh, give that favor 
and that you will work through our, our governing officials, uh, our health officials, to make uh, those decisions necessary to, to allow us to once again, Lord, to gather and to fellowship together. And so, Lord, whatever form that takes, we pray that you would hasten that day that we can see each other again. And we pray that until then, give us patience, Lord, and we pray that you will again uh, continue to make the way straight for us in the, in the days ahead. And so, Father, we, we, we thank you that we have this opportunity to hear from your word this morning. Bless it. Lord, as we prepare to, uh, as well, continue to give of tithes and offerings to you, Lord, and the different ways that we can do so. Bless those gifts. Um, Lord, we pray that you would give us cheerful hearts to give out of the abundance with which you've blessed us and multiply it to the furthering of your kingdom. We think of that in our, in our immediate church ministries, Lord, whether youth ministry, Sunday school ministry, uh, ladies ministries, uh, Lord, all of these. Uh, we also think of Turtle Mountain Bible Camp and camping ministries. We pray, Lord, for favor that they could open in the summer ahead as well. And, and all of the other avenues, Lord, where the word goes out, we pray that you would make the way straight for them in this year ahead. And so we leave these things in your hands. And now I would invite everyone to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I would now invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to our scripture reading for this morning from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 7 to 14. Philippians chapter 3 and beginning in verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, because becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So far the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the deep insight, the deep truth that you have given through your servant, the Apostle Paul, to our hearts and ears today. And so, Father, by that same spirit, I pray that you would speak through these words, through me, your servant, bless them to our hearts, translate them as needed to each one of our lives and circumstances, so that they could be uh, a benefit, Lord, to our lives and to those around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Now, most of us have something of a fear of the unknown. And since on this first Sunday of a new year, we don't know what the new year ahead will bring. And so it comes with some mixed feelings of apprehension. Especially, as I said, if 2020, the year that has just passed, is anything to go by, we know that this year could throw almost anything our way. Because just consider for a moment, if we were able to, I don't know, jump in a time machine and and travel back to one year ago today, January 3rd, 2020, and you were to go back and talk to yourself on that day, 365 days ago, and you were able to tell yourself all of the things that happened in 2020, do you think you would have believed it? if you were given a chronological, detailed map of everything that was going to transpire in this last year, would you have believed it? Chances are you would not have believed it because, honestly, I can still hardly believe some of it myself, and I lived through it, and I'm still wrapping my head around some of the crazy things that have gone on this past year. And so because of this, as we close the calendar on 2020, We, of course, naturally hope that this next year ahead, that things will get better. But our hope is also mixed with a a real and perhaps gnawing fear that things might not get better or that, in fact, they could possibly even get worse. I heard a story of some men from many years ago, and they were on a leaky old cargo ship in the middle of a rough and stormy sea. And they were beginning to become fearful for their lives as the storm raged on. They didn't know whether they were going to sink or not. And so finally, one of the, one of the crew members went into the, to the, to the cabin's house to the grizzled old captain at the wheel and said to him, Captain, are we safe? And the captain looked at him and replied grimly, Well, I'll put it this way. The boilers on this ship are very weak and may explode at any moment. Also, the ship is very old and she's taken on water. In fact, to be completely honest with you, we may have an explosion or we may sink. Well, by this point, the scared crew member's face had turned a pasty white and he looked like he was about to faint. At seeing this, the old captain then looked the young man square in the eye and he said to him, with steely determination. Yes, my lad, we may go up or we may go down, but at any rate, we will go on. And that, my friends, is just the same sort of determination with which we should be entering this new year. Yes, we may go up to meet Jesus in heaven by our death, Or Jesus may, in fact, come down and get us first. But at any rate, whatever comes in the days ahead, we are going on. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we do this? How do we live this out, this determination to to press on, no matter what, in the days ahead? Well, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 and verses 7 to 9, our scripture reading. Here again, the words of the Apostle Paul in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so the first principle I'll draw for your attention on how we develop this sort of determination in our lives, no matter what comes, the first is this. Develop an eternal perspective. Develop an eternal perspective. Now take note of Paul's attitude and his perspective in the words that we just read. He considered Everything in his life, everything that he once considered gain, all of the temporary earthly pleasures and possessions and status and wealth, all of those things, whether good, bad, or otherwise, he says he now considered them all to be rubbish, or translated another word, garbage, in comparison to gaining eternal life with Christ. And so this eternal perspective that Paul had cultivated within himself, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, changed his perspective and attitude on all of life. And so, yes, this past year has been filled with many challenges, and so we naturally long for easier days ahead. But my friends, regardless of what this new year has yet in store for us, if you are a child of God with an eternal perspective fixed firmly in your heart and mind, then like the Apostle Paul, The future has never been brighter. The future has never been brighter. How can I say that? Well, recall the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 17 and 18, where he said, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So my friends, make no mistake about it. Whether we go up or whether he comes down, eternal glory with Christ, in Christ, is coming. It's coming and the future, therefore, has never been brighter because we are one year closer to when it will be a reality. And so by faith, our glorious inheritance, remember we are co-heirs with Christ, our inheritance is safe and secure in him. And so that means our only challenge left is navigating the days in between that glorious day and today. And however many days that might be, that's our only challenge. And so this is where having an eternal perspective will make such a difference on how we navigate the days in between. Now, our second principle from this text is this. Embrace suffering as a pathway to deeper intimacy with Christ. Embrace suffering as a pathway to deeper intimacy with Christ. Verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Now here we see that Paul had developed such a strong eternal perspective that not only had he already learned to endure suffering for Christ, you know, that attitude of, yeah, we'll just grit our teeth and get through it, but in fact he had gone beyond that to the point where he actually desired to know Christ more deeply by participating in his sufferings. He wanted to share in them so that he could know a deeper level of fellowship with his Lord. Now, this concept is entirely foreign to most of us here in Canada. We've had such an easy uh, a life for the vast majority of us for decades, for, for multiple generations now, that, that true suffering, it's, our, you know, it's only the, the last great generation that lived through World War II who knows, I think, what real sufferings still, still look like. But for my generation, we don't know what real suffering looks like relative to that. And so... This is foreign to us. But there is a deep bond of fellowship that is forged in the fire of suffering that can be made in no other way. I've heard and read of of soldiers who have been through war, the horrors of war, and, and they will often talk about the deep bonds that are forged between soldiers who have been through the crucible of war together. And and thankfully for all of us who have not had to go through that, who have not had to endure the horror of war, we still, many of us, we still know that going through other types of suffering together can forge deep bonds, lasting bonds with others in a way that good times simply cannot. And so we know that from experience, suffering can forge bonds of fellowship. And so it is with us and Christ. Now, I'm not going to tickle your ears today and tell you that these days ahead are going to be just smooth sailing. Because so long as we are still living in this broken world, the storms yet rage, and and the good fight of faith against sin and Satan is not yet done. For our Lord Jesus himself told us, In this world you will have trouble. Not, you might have trouble, you will have trouble. It's a given. He also told us, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So again, if we find ourselves being increasingly hated, ostracized, persecuted by the corrupt world around us, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Jesus told us long ago, and, and what was true then remains true today, if they persecuted him, they will persecute his followers also. It's, it's, not, it's not an optional thing, it's a given. And finally, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now remember, a cross, we're we're very accustomed to having it. We have it as our backdrop here in the church as a constant reminder standing before us. But remember, that cross is the most cruel instrument of torture and death ever devised. It's the most cruel, barbaric, prolonged death ever that man has ever come up with to this very day. And though Jesus only physically carried his cross 
for part of the way up that road to Golgotha. Remember that in his mind and spirit, he carried that cross from the manger and on. Because remember, Jesus, the Son of God, he said for this very reason he had been born. He knew it from the manger that he was headed to the cross. He walked every day of his earthly life with the knowledge that the cross was coming. And so when he says to us, you too, take up your cross daily and follow me. It means that in Jesus' heart and mind, he had already died. The deed was done, even though he still had to walk towards it. And so too, as we, in this, in this similar way, carry our own cross, it means that we too, like Christ, have died to ourselves, to our own ambitions, to our own dreams, and now we are yielded and fully alive to God in Christ for his ambitions, for his dreams, for his will for us. And so whatever comes between this day and that glorious day when we will meet Jesus face to face, whether in freedom or in persecution, whether in prosperity or in suffering, in health or in sickness, by our lives or by our death, we carry that cross as a reminder that we live each day dead to self, alive to Christ, fully surrendered to the glory of God. And in this way, and through the pathway of suffering, we will, like Paul, grow in intimacy and fellowship with our Savior. Now thirdly, verse 12, never stop running. Never stop running until the end. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, in this race of life, we have, of course, a cunning enemy on the sidelines who's constantly trying to distract us or trip us up. We, of course, know him as Satan or the devil. Now, I recently read about the cowbird, which is unique to North America. Now, while some other birds will, upon occasion, lay their eggs in other birds' nests, the cowbird does so exclusively. It simply will not build its own nest. In the state of Illinois, for example, the little brown cowbird there is, is very common. But bird experts say that you will not find a single cowbird nest in the entire state. There are, there are hundreds, perhaps hundreds of thousands of birds living in the state, but you will not find one nest built by a cowbird. And in fact, it's becoming a problem. One writer by the name of Peter Kendall says, The cowbirds are prodigious egg layers. Each female commonly deposits between 20 to 40 eggs in other nests each spring. Cowbird eggs usually hatch more quickly than other types of birds' eggs. And also the chicks will grow more quickly. And because birds tend to feed the largest and loudest of their young first, because they would usually be the healthiest and have the best chance of survival, the host bird will spend most of its time and energy tending to the bird which it did not even birth, the cowbird. And as a result, the cowbird is now pushing some other songbirds to the point of extinction. 
And so we see here that the cowbird's cunning, using other birds' nests, and in fact other birds to mother their own young, is pushing other birds to the point of, of their own demise and destruction. And all the while, they're, they're completely oblivious to it. And in the same way, the devil's distractions and, and cunning ways of discouraging and attacking us, he, he can sneak into our lives in such a way that, that if we allow it to go un- unchecked, we'll actually be giving our, our own energy and ambition towards what Satan has put in our life rather than what God has put in our life. And if left unidentified, those distractions, those discouragements, those snares of the enemy can actually push out and cause the extinction, the extermination of godly activity in our lives and stop us from running the race altogether. And so as Paul told the Corinthians, when it comes to the devil's cunning schemes, he says, we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. And this tells us that yes, The devil has cunning schemes. He has ways of attacking us where we're most vulnerable. He knows our weak spots. But, Paul says, we are not ignorant of them. And this means we must inform ourselves of his tactics, of his schemes, of how he's going to attack us so that we can be ready and prepared for battle. So that when they come, we are ready to not only fight, but to win. Now, I'll tell you, I've made this mistake more than once where, more than once, where I have fallen for one of the devil's many schemes against me. And when this happens, where I've fallen for one of his schemes, one of the common ones is discouragement. Discouragement is one of his favorite weapons against all of God's children. And for myself, there are so many times in my life where he just comes along and whispers something in my ear like, "Ah, you failed again. You failed so often. Why are you even bother trying? Or you won't make any difference. Why are you getting up there to speak again? Why are you bothering to talk to that person about the Lord? Why are you bothering to do that good deed? No one notices. It doesn't make any difference. Why even bother trying? And these types of things, these types of discouragements, if I let them, they can wiggle their way in and they can, and they can put me at the point of saying, you know what, maybe I'll just give up. Maybe I'll just quit. But I'm so thankful that the Lord has helped me over the years to learn to identify these schemes. And so I've also learned to call out these schemes of discouragement for the satanic lies that they are. And then call upon God's power to enable me to overcome these schemes and these snares. To be encouraged once more in the Lord. And to never stop and to keep moving forward no matter what. And so we keep running the race until the very end. We never stop. We press on. And now fourthly, from this text, verse 13, we forget what's behind us. Forget what's behind. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, you need to forget. What do you need to forget about in the past? Well, first, you need to forget about your failures. Of course, to do that, you need to 
1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't forget about sins until you've confessed them. But once you've confessed them and been forgiven of them, forget about them. They are done with. They are under the blood of Christ. Quit rehearsing them. Quit beating yourself up over them. Quit feeling ashamed over them as well. Because remember, Jesus also took the shame of our sin upon himself on the cross. It's all been paid for in full. And in Revelation 12, verse 10, the devil, who is, who is named there the accuser of the brethren. And so as was the case where Satan accused Job of not being as righteous as God thought, we can safely assume that there are times where Satan's coming to God's throne saying, yeah, would you look at so-and-so? Would you look at Danny? Would you, would you look at them? Would you look at her? Do you see what your child is doing? Pathetic. And he's accusing us. And Satan also loves doing things to remind us, God's children, of past sins in order to rob our joy and to try to keep us down and discouraged to stop us from serving God faithfully or with, or with zeal and with joy as God would desire for us. Now, in this regard, we can only imagine how often Paul, remember, formerly Saul, the persecutor of the church, we can only imagine how many times he experienced such attacks of the enemy. He who had overseen and condoned the stoning to death of Stephen. He who had blasphemed Jesus' name. He who had hunted down and imprisoned followers of Christ. He who had believed that by doing so, he was actually earning God's favor. How terribly wrong Saul had been. And the shame of it must have been staggered. But God's grace was not lacking for Paul. For it cleansed him not only from the guilt of sin, but from the shame of it as well. In Romans 8 verse 1, Having experienced this perfect cleansing, Paul was able to write without any hesitation, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation. Yes, sin is sin. And it is what separates us from God and it wages war against our souls. But I'm here to tell you that just as God's grace was not lacking for Paul, God's grace is not lacking for you. So if you are the recipient of God's grace, this applies to you just as it applied to Paul and just as it applies to me. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. The old is gone, the new has come. I am brand new in Christ and under grace so are you. It is not lacking. God's all-sufficient grace is here for us. So don't let past failures or the shame of sin define you or keep you down. You are covered by grace. Forget about them. They are in the past. They are gone and done with. But now past failures are not all that we need to forget. And this is the hard one that I'm still struggling with. We must also learn to forget about past successes. Dr. Warren Wearsby once said, Do not say, why were the former days better than these? You do not move ahead by constantly looking in a rearview mirror. The past is a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you. We must learn from the past, but not live in the past. Sadly, 
many Christians with years of experience to offer are virtually useless in kingdom work today because all they can think about is the past and and the good old days and what they used to do and how they used to do that. And, And so often at some peak years of life where they have so much experience and wisdom to offer, they coast on into the latter years of life and, and just look back in the, in the rearview mirror of what they once did for the Lord without considering what they could still be doing for the Lord right now today. Yes, the seasons of life change, roles can change, but service to the Lord never stops until that finish line, which is when we are with the Lord. And so too, dying churches have the tendency of sitting on former accomplishments. They become self-satisfied with with former victories. And so uh, complacency can begin to set in. And so without a, a, a desire or a burden to keep working for the Lord, to keep building his kingdom, very little of faithful service, of, of true dedication happens. And so complacency sets in, coasting sets in, and decline begins to set in. Now, no one would have found fault with Paul if he had done that in his own personal life, where he had reached a point near the end where he would just say, you know what, look at what, I'll, look at what I've done. Who's gone harder for the Lord than me? You know, I've served the Lord faithfully all these years. I've been imprisoned. I've been stoned. I've been whipped more times than I can remember. I've put myself out there. Can't I just have the last couple of years to just put my feet up and relax? No one would have faulted Paul had he said that. But he didn't say that. Instead, he said in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. There was no quit in Paul. He wasn't resting on past failures, pardon me, past accomplishments, or, or letting past failures hold him back. He was resolved that he would press on to the very end. May we each resolve to do the same. And now finally, the the final principle that I want to leave you with this morning is this. Remember that you will never walk a day in this year or a day in your life alone. You will never walk a day alone. The verse with which God affirmed his call on my life many years ago now is Joshua 1 verse 9. And it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Alexander McLaren was a great Scottish preacher. And in one of his sermons, he told about something that happened to him as a young man. He lived in Glasgow, and he told about what happened to him when he was a a boy of about 16 years of age. He got his first job away from home. And this was the first time he'd really ever been away from home for any length of time whatsoever. And so as he left and went to Glasgow to work and he left the family farm, he didn't have a horse to ride uh, on his way there. They were literally dirt poor and he, he couldn't go back and forth without walking the many miles, about eight miles it was. And so he walked by foot to his job. And so his first week away from home, 
before leaving, his dad had said to him, Now, Alex, when Friday comes, I want you to walk home because your mother and I will have missed you so much. And this is the first time you've ever been away from home, and so Friday, when you get off from work, please come home. Now, hearing his father's his request on his way out, he resolved that, yes, he would go home after that first week of work. However, between the city and the farm where they lived was a very deep ravine, a chasm. And it was known to be a very dangerous place. It was dark and foreboding, and within this was known to be dens of robbers and muggers who hung out there and often um, ambushed travelers who would go through, especially late in the evening. And so he had this fear of this, of this ravine, this chasm, fixed in his mind, and it wasn't unfounded. The dangers were very real. And so he did not want to walk through this place at nighttime. He wanted it to be as close to the middle of the day as possible. And so he said to his dad, I'll tell you what, I, I'll be tired Friday, so I'll just spend Friday night in the city, and then I'll come home first thing Saturday morning in the bright morning sun. But his dad had said to him, No, Alex, your mother and I, we really want you home Friday night. And so wanting to be an obedient son, he had said to his dad, Yes, sir, I'll be coming home Friday night. And so Friday night, when he got off work and he began the eight-mile walk towards home, the sun was setting, darkness was creeping in, his heart was beating, thumping, the closer he got to that valley, to that dark chasm. And so as he came up towards the edge of the chasm, as the sun was now down, shadows were everywhere around him, he tried whistling to make himself feel better, but that didn't seem to help. And then he said he started to talk to an imaginary companion just to try to you know, make like someone was there with him in case there were any bandits lurking in the shadows who might think in a lone target was easier than someone traveling with a companion. But when he finally got to the edge of that deep, dark ravine and he looked down the trail into that valley, he just paused there and finally fear took a hold of him. He couldn't take another step forward. And as he stood there staring into that darkness, he knew if he turned around back for the city, the disappointment and, and the worry that his parents would be going through if he did not appear at home that night. And then he said as he stood there, paralyzed by fear, the most terrible thing happened. Out of the darkness, a looming dark figure emerged and began walking towards him. And as he looked, he was so certain that this was a bandit coming to do the worst to him. But still, he was so paralyzed by fear, he couldn't even turn to run as the figure loomed in the darkness. And then at the last moment, as the figure got close enough that he could make out his face, he saw that it was none other than the face of his father, who had come to meet him. And as he drew close, his father embraced him and said, Alex, I came out to meet you. I was so lonely for you. I thought I would help you through the ravine and we'd walk home together. And Alexander McLaren said in closing, you'll never know the difference that made. To walk through that valley with my dad by my side, I had not a fear in the world. Now, my friends, I don't know what you might be going through right now. And I certainly don't know 
what lies ahead in this coming year. I don't know what sickness or what heartache or what trouble or challenge or trial may come our way, but I do know without a shadow of a doubt that each one of us can say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so may God bless this, his word, to your heart today. In the days ahead, may he apply it to our hands, to our feet, to our mouths, to our hearts. As we live for him, and as we live in the expectation of one day, we will meet him face to face in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the glory yet to be revealed is a sure and living hope fixed in our hearts by faith. It's it's secure in you, Lord Jesus, and we have not a shadow of doubt that that day is coming. But we also acknowledge the reality that there are days in between that day and this day. And these days will most likely, in fact, certainly be filled with trials and challenges yet to come of suffering, perhaps even of persecution and hardship. And yet, Lord, in all of the things that we have yet to endure, that we, that we don't know yet what might come, thank you for your promise that we will not walk a single day alone, that you walk with us through the valley. And that, Lord, as, as you work out these truths of your word in our hearts and in our lives, that, Lord, we can develop an eternal perspective to take everything that comes our way in these days ahead uh, simply in stride, that they're not even worth comparing to what is yet to come. And that, like Paul, we can learn to not only endure suffering, but embrace it as the pathway to deeper intimacy with you. And that, Lord, we will learn to forget what is behind And that as Satan tries to discourage us and to snare us and to trip us up, Lord, we'll become aware of his schemes and learn how to to not only expect them, but to fight back and to cause him that in the power of Christ to flee from us as we quench those fiery darts of the enemy. And we'll keep pressing on no matter what. So, Lord, we thank you for all of these promises. We thank you for your word. Apply it to our hands, to our feet, to our mouths, to our hearts, Lord, we pray for our good for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, may God bless you richly in this year to come. Happy New Year to you. And Lord willing, I'll see you again right back here next week. And we anticipate the day that we'll be able to meet together for fellowship in person in the new year ahead. May God bless you until that day.